Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you today for your presence in this place as your people. And as Faye has already said, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in this place. Oh, we love your presence. We love praising you. We love honoring you. We love thanking you. We love just being in this place where we can sing your praise and offer up our thanks. It does us good. It's good to be together. It's good to be in your house with your people, knowing your presence here in this place. And Lord, as we come to your word right now, I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would open our hearts, that your word would have its way working into the soil and the fabric of our life, that it would produce a wonderful harvest that glorifies you and enriches our lives. We ask you this in Jesus' name, Father, for your glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. It's wonderful to be together. It really is. And um, do you know, over these last past weeks, we've had such rich teaching. We really have. Uh, Faye, over two weeks, spoke about the Beatitudes such, I tell you, a powerful, rich message, full of content. And um, I tried to look at the Beatitudes last year, right? I thought, oh, it'd be great to teach on the Beatitudes. <laughs> An hour in, I'm thinking, my God, I can't get anything from it. But she came along, and the Holy Spirit opened that to her. And I'm telling you, what? rich, rich content and revelation for our lives. If you haven't yet listened to it, I encourage you to listen to that word. It will greatly bless your life. It really will. And also, Stephen Matthews that we had, again, another word, yeah, another word into the heart of our church that would really just bless us and enrich us and steer our lives. Again, if you've not listened to Steve's word, I encourage you to listen to that word, take it in. It'll really bless you and equip you for this time and in living too. Well, over this week and next week, I'm going to finish off the series of messages, hopefully, that we started at the beginning of the year titled, The Power of Promise. And out of the many, many thousands of promises within God's Word, we picked up on eight points of promise to set before us in this year ahead. Through January, we looked at five points of promise, covering promises of protection and direction for our lives, also promises for strength, abundance, and prosperity that God speaks over us. And even just from these few promises, we see that God's Word for our lives covers every matter of life and living. Peter called them exceedingly great and precious promises that we have been given. And even just the few promises that we've looked at so far, we are richly, richly blessed by God to have His Word spoken over our lives and have our, expect, our expectation for living framed by them. When Charles Spurgeon used to preach about the endless provision found in the promises of God for our lives. He would often tell a story about a beautiful young woman that he'd known of. All of her life, she'd grown up under the shadow of poverty. She belonged to a poor family. That's all she'd ever known. But everything changed for this young lady when she met a very wealthy young man who became her husband. She was now in a very wealthy environment. Her whole life and future going forward had suddenly changed. 
Yet after getting married because of her impoverished background, this young lady was afraid to use the wealth that was now hers by right of marriage. She lived in fear of spending too much and losing what they had. She'd become the beneficiary of great wealth. But she only drew a few pennies from the great account that she had access to. One day, her wealthy husband sat her down and wisely said to her, My love, you may have been a poor man's daughter, but now you're a rich man's wife. So spend according to my riches and not according to your father's poor economy. The point that Spurgeon would make from that true story was that in Adam, we were a poor man's children. Our original father went broke a long time ago. There was nothing left in the family estate because of Adam's fall and his sin. All that he left to us was but sin and shame and outstanding debt that we could never pay. That was our inheritance. But now, however, we are joined to Christ. We are heirs of God and co-heirs with our Lord and Savior Jesus, who is the heir of all things. We live in him. We move in him, Paul says. We have our very being of life in Christ Jesus. And Jesus Christ has put the checkbook of endless promises in the hand of each believer to draw on the endless riches of his grace. Spurgeon's point was the same as the Apostle Paul's in Romans 8 when he said, Romans 8, verse 13 through to verse 17, Paul says this, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs of God. You're an heir of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. We are the inheritors of exceedingly great and precious promises in Christ Jesus. And as I've already said, all of those promises are yes and amen in Him. Hallelujah. Open access we have to every promise that God has made. No promise is off limits to your life. No matter how many withdrawals you make, child of God, you'll never put a dent in Christ's account. You'll never go into overdraw, overdrawn. You'll never deplete the, ri the rich, endless resources in Him. Such is His surpassing grace towards us. And Paul says this in Ephesians, on into the ages to come. So over this week and next week, we're going to look at the remaining three promises. A promise for peace, a promise for help, and a promise for power. These three promises like all of the other many promises in God's Word, bring great assurance to us and security for a fruitful life that glorifies God. 
This morning we'll just cover two of the promises. Firstly, how God promises to give us peace. And then secondly, we'll look at how God promises to help us in any time of trouble within our lives. Then ne next week, if we get to it, we'll finish off by looking at God's promise for power. God has a promise to give us power to live this life. A promise to give us power so that we can go out and do His will and accomplish His purpose in the world. We'll look at that next week. But let's look for a moment and focus on this promise for peace. A promise for peace. This is the wonderful provision that God gives us for life and for living. And the Apostle Paul boldly speaks about this peace and living in it to the full in Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. Words probably that you all know very well. Let me read them to you again this morning. Philippians 4, verse 6, Paul confidently proclaims this. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Listen to that again. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. I remember when I read these words for the first time, a long time ago now. I remember as I read these verses... An argument rose up within me against the Word of God. It was Paul's opening phrase in verse 6 that really troubled me. Be anxious for nothing. When my eyes fell on those words, I felt a frustration within me. And I heard myself say to myself, that's impossible. That's ridiculous. How is it possible to be anxious for nothing? Life is filled with anxiety. Life is filled with worrying circumstances. You just got to accept it and get through it and get on with it. That's what I thought. So when my eyes fell on Paul's words, be anxious for nothing, I was fighting. I was arguing with the Word of God. But what was happening was the truth of God's Word was confronting a stubborn mindset. A belief system was being confronted by the truth and by the light of God's Word. My flesh rose up to fight it. Little did I know at the time, but that unbelief system was actually defending and holding on to anxieties and worries that I wanted to be free of. The root of many anxieties, the root of many worries is unbelief, fear, ignorance of the promises of God. As long as we feed anxiety and worrying cares with that poisonous diet of unbelief, worry will grow big and strong. And if we allow it, it'll produce all kinds of offspring to keep you occupied for the rest of your life. But the moment you allow the living Word of God to rise up like a sword 
that's sharper than any two-edged sword in your heart and you unite your heart with that in faith, every fear can be dispelled. Every worrying thought can be defeated. It's just like night being driven back by day. Well, the Word of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit went to work on my anxious heart. And those worries and those fears and those cares started to melt away. And God set me free. God delivered me through prayer. Oh, it's impossible to defeat anxiety when God is not in the picture of your life. It's impossible to use self-strength to defeat any kind of worry when God is removed from the picture. But when He's in the center, every care, every worry, every anxious fear has to come under His Lordship. Paul could encourage his hearers, listen very carefully. Paul could encourage his hearers to be anxious for nothing because previous to making this bold statement in verse 6, in verse 5, he'd already made another incredible statement by simply stating, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. The grounds for being anxious for nothing is in the assurance that Paul had given in verse 5. The Lord is near. Philippians 4 verse 5. Let's read it. Paul says these words. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Paul wasn't suggesting to the believers at Philippi to be anxious for nothing in their own strength. Muster up a strong mentality against anxiety. Use all of the reserves within you. Muster your strength and your will to stand against every worrying care and every anxious thought. No, Paul wasn't telling them to use their own strength, nor was he telling them to adopt some kind of positive thinking routine that denies reality. Now, Paul was simply making the point. Realize the Lord is near. Become aware of his presence. Dave's word was bang on this morning. Bang on. Tell you, the Holy Ghost is, is very, very focused in what He wants to say to us every single week. Keep your ears open and stay attentive in your heart. We're not following a program here. God wants to enrich you with His Word and, and fill you with His Spirit so that we can do His will and be everything He's called us to be. I said to Dave, that very story that he told about Martha and Mary, Mary getting distracted by, uh, sorry, Martha getting distracted by all of those many things, and Martha sitting at the feet of Jesus. I had that in this message this week, and then I took it out. Right? So I took it out, but God put it in. Do you see how God wants to help us? How He wants to speak to us? I had that in my message. And I thought, oh, I'll get the point across another way. I'll take it out. God put it in. God wants to encourage us not to be worried or anxious about many things and caught up in the busyness of life, sit at His feet, listen to His Word, 
arouse your heart to receive his promise. Listen, this is a word for some of you as well. Stop thinking through your feelings. Start addressing your feelings with the word of God. And put faith in his word and your, your feelings will submit to that word that you put faith in and your thoughts will focus with greater expectation. The expectation that's found in him. Just a little thought. The Lord is near. Realize the Lord is near. And in the light of that realization that he is near, don't worry. Don't be anxious. Now remember when Paul was writing this to the church at Philippi, he was in prison. In the closing moments of his life, he'd already said in this letter, my life is being poured out like a drink offering. So his circumstances aren't the best. But he had a correct perspective about the nearness of God. The nearness of God's presence in amidst confusing life circumstances. Onlookers could have easily assumed that Paul would have been anxious, worried. Things were falling apart. He was nearing a fateful end. But this letter isn't a letter of doom and gloom, recounting the last words of a man about to die. The letter to the believers at Philippi was characterized by a continual theme of joy and a command to rejoice. The author is in prison. The author of the letter is chained up. But his heart is bursting with joy. His heart is full of peace that passes understanding. Why? Because he realizes that the Lord is near. By his side. Circumstances may have cut Paul off from the people that he dearly loved. But circumstance couldn't cut him off from knowing that the Lord was near. Even in prison chains, he declares, the Lord is near. And that's why he could say, don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry. Don't fear. God is near. Hallelujah. What a wonderful way to live. What a victorious way. Sometimes our feelings, and we've all got them, our feelings can be screaming out, where is God? But in those moments, in those times, it's time to say to those feelings that seem so out of control, shh, be quiet. The Lord is near. He's near. The outcome is obvious when you realize that the Lord is near. The outcome is obvious when you have this perspective and this picture about life. You won't worry. You won't be anxious. But you will let your requests be made known. You're not going to let your requests be made known to a God who's distant. You're not going to let your requests be made known with faith and fervency to a God that is up there, aloof and cold. But to a Lord that is near, to one that has said, I will never leave you or forsake you, you're going to let your request be made known to. And that's why Paul exhorts them 
to let their requests be made known to God. And here, in this exhortation, he's pointing out some important things that we must take notice of. First, he's telling us to make a decision. A decision to let your requests be made known unto God. When you decide to pray, when I decide to pray, you're making the greatest decision that you can ever make. Now, whether you believe that or not, that's up to you. But I'm telling you something now. If you will pray, if you will submit your thoughts and your desires and your wants, and you'll get on your knees to pray. I'm not talking about publicly. I'm talking about praying in secret, in private, in the closet, where nobody sees you. I tell you, if you will submit your life to that, and submit your feelings to that, you'll find God. And you will see that it is the greatest thing that you can ever do with your time and your decisions. Prayer involves God. It invites God to answer our need. And by doing this, we move from a place of independence to a place of dependence on God. Lots of requests, let's be honest. Lots of requests are never made known to God. He wants to come in. He wants to answer. He wants to show himself strong on behalf of those that call to him. But lots of requests are never made known to God. Possibly because we don't want to relinquish control. We want to do things our way and in, on, on our terms. I tell you now, hear me well, that's a certain road to anxiety and worry. You take life's cares on your own back, you'll be burdened down. It's better as a child of God to get on your knees, submit to Him, and begin to call on his name. Hallelujah. Like God said to Dale this morning, Jeremiah 33, verse 3, he says to us all, call on me. What an invitation. This is the God of the universe we're talking about. Call on me. I'll answer you and show you great and mighty things, things that you do not know. What an invitation. He's not, he's not in intimidated by our requests. He's not in intimidated by our list. He's willing to answer. He really is willing, ready to do what we cannot do. And after this... After prayer, that's when peace comes. Peace comes after prayer. There's a divine order here. God is near. God is near. Therefore, don't be anxious for anything. Don't worry. Now pray. And then the next step is suddenly there's a supernatural encounter and a provision of peace from God. Peace comes after prayer and a peace that passes your understanding. It'll guard your heart, Paul says. It will guard your mind through Christ Jesus. And they're the two places that need protected more than anything, our heart and our mind. How about living? in this promised place of peace for the rest of your life? How about never being touched by anxiety or worry ever again, but walking in that peace that passes understanding, allowing it to so take hold of our hearts that we are constantly in that place of communion 
with the one that provides this peace that passes understanding. This peace protects us. This peace is there as provision for every daily event that faces us. It takes us through the storm. It takes us through the dark night on into new green pastures provided by him. Peace because the Lord is near. So we have a promise for peace this morning. We have a promise for peace. Peace that passes understanding. Let's use it. And let's use it well. Promise for peace. We also have a promise for help. That's the next point that I want us to think about this morning. That I want us to pick up on. A promise for help. The whole Bible from start to finish is a running commentary of God's help and intervention. I mean, you can almost turn anywhere in the Bible and just see him stepping in, helping, assisting, intervening on behalf of his people. He's a wonderful God. He's a wonderful Lord. And he takes up the role and the title of helper. It's a wonderful title. It's a wonderful role. Maybe through the week and on beyond it. Think about that. Think about that title, Helper. It's one of his names. Helper. When you read about the children of Israel, you see God helping, assisting, intervening, and being with them time and time again as they faced impossible situations. The outlining message from them to us is our God is a God who loves to help. Towards the end of Moses' life, Moses summoned all of Israel to come together. When they came together, Moses spoke up and reminded them all of how the Lord had faithfully helped them by fulfilling his promises to them over 40 years. Not over a day, but over 40 years from delivering them from 400 years of slavery in Egypt to providing for them in a vast deadly wilderness, God had never once failed them. He did exactly what he said he would do. Let's listen for a moment to Moses' review of God's help over 40 years in, in caring for his people. Deuteronomy 29, starting at verse 2, says this, Now Moses called all of Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trials which your eyes have seen, the signs and those great wonders. And I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Listen, your clothes have not worn out. Clothes have not worn out on you. And your sandals have not worn out on your feet. You have not eaten bread, nor have you drunk wine or similar drink, that you may know that I am the Lord. Moses was pointing out that God was their great deliverer, and God was their great provider. He was their tailor. He was their cobbler. He was their complete provision. And he reminded them that their hands had not made bread. Why? 
because God rained it down from heaven. It was called manna. Manna and meat every day for 40 years. Moses reminded them that they had not had to work the vine. They didn't work the vine for wine. Why? Because God split open a rock and water gushed out of that rock and that rock followed them through the wilderness wherever they went and there was more than enough refreshment and provision for their lives. For 40 years they lived in unlivable conditions. Why? Because God was in their midst. The great I am who is more than enough for every life need sustained them and helped them. And he's still the great I am today. He's still the one who is more than enough today. Everything that you need, he will provide. He's our helper. He will never fail. Forty years later, listen to this. Forty years later, after Moses had died, Joshua, having taken the children of Israel over into the promised land from the wilderness, made a similar report of God's incredible help. Joshua now, when he made this statement before all of God's people, was nearing the end of his life. And just like Moses, he called all the people to come together. And on that day, Joshua 2 declared a glorious report of God's impeccable goodness in fulfilling every single word of promise. Listen to Joshua's words. Incredible. In Joshua 21 verse 45, Joshua declared this, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord has made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Think about that for a moment. Think about the two reports of these great men, Moses and Joshua, reviewing over 80 years of life under God's blessing. Together, they brought a conclusive report about God's impeccable faithfulness, about God's impeccable help in supporting and looking after the welfare of over two million people in unlivable conditions for 80 years. He helped them every day. And their conclusion was conclusive. God had never failed. He gave them more than enough than what they needed. It's wonderful to realize. It's wonderful to realize that the Lord is your helper. There's a promise from him to give us peace that passes understanding. And there's a promise of help given to us as God's people. On another occasion, later on from this, many years later, in fact, King David was the man who said, God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. This wasn't a theological statement made by a man sitting at a desk in his study. This was the testimony of a man's life after having faced many troubles of every kind. In every troubling life event, David testified that he found God ever-present. His Lord was never preoccupied with other things, but present and immediate, nowhere in any literature that David wrote or recorded down about God, does he picture God as a passive observer, issuing out advice coldly. He never sees God as distant or aloof or removed, standing on the sidelines until things calm down. 
No. David talks about the Lord coming into his troubles, helping him, demonstrating his power, assisting him in his needs. Psalm 46, verse 1 through to verse 3 says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. We don't fear any of those things. Why? Because God is an ever-present help. That's our assurance. That's the promise for us. In Psalm 40, David recalls one such occasion where he was in great trouble. Where his life was engulfed by darkness. He described it like a pit of destruction and a miry bog. A life situation that he could not get out of until God, listen, until God stepped in and sorted things out helped him out of that place. Listen to him in hindsight as he, as he recalls God's help to make his steps secure again, placing his feet on the rock and putting a new song in his mouth. Psalm 40, verse 2. This is David's testimony about the helper. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making me secure, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. No wonder David said, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. When you've been in a pit of destruction and you're out for count and there's no human help and there's no one coming to your calls and God steps in and draws you out of that miry pit, that dark place of life, I tell you something now, by experience, you'll know that he's great and great will be your praise to him. Hallelujah. He's awesome. He's our helper. We're going to bring this to a close in a moment. Mark said, wonderful. Thank you, Mark. I know. I'm winding you up. You wind me up all the time. I got you back. Wonderful, he said. Hallelujah. <laughs> As we bring this to a close. Wonderful. Hold on, I'll try it again. Now shout it out as if you mean it. As we bring this to a close. Just like the children of Israel and David knew God as their helper. Jesus wants us to know that he sent his Holy Spirit to help us. Because we need a lot of help and a lot of assistance. So God takes on the role. As helper. Young person, listen to me. Your future is going to be absolutely wonderful because the helper's at your side. The helper's with you. The helper's for you. The helper's going to work things out and make a way where there may not be any way. As older people, everything's going to be fine because the helper is on side. We've just got to learn the lesson that 
Mary learned just to sit down, rest, relax at his feet and listen to what he's saying. Don't worry and run around frantically like Martha and be anxious over many things. Just do the one thing that's necessary, which is to sit at his feet, rest, and let him do what only he can do. The helper is here. Listen to the words of Jesus as we close today about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. John chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus says this, but I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standby will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him, the Holy Spirit, to you to be in close fellowship with you. Do you know what I love about these words? What I love about God is, well, let's be honest. God could assume any lofty, high, mighty title. He is God after all. He could assume the greatest of all titles. Yet he condescends to take on this intimate, simple title of helper. And it sounds so basic, so unimpressive to a world that gravitates to title and position. Yet the lowly title of helper, the title that the Holy Spirit faithfully holds to, is for us to experience and to enjoy. Oh, what help he gives the helper. We have a promise for peace, and not a peace that is measured out in a little portion, but a promise for peace that passes and surpasses all understanding. Let's enjoy it. Let's relish in it and live from it. We have a promise for help. Oh, what help he brings. It's his name. And he loves to show himself strong on behalf of those who seek him. Hallelujah as helper. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. I'm going to pray right now as we close this service. Father, I thank you today for your, your precious people, every single one of them. Lord, you know the needs that we have, whether they be in our hearts or in our minds or in our emotions or whether they be physical needs. Lord, we thank you today. We have a promise from your word of peace, supernatural peace, a dimension to live in that contradicts the circumstances that we are facing, that gives us a correct perspective about you in the midst of all kinds of challenging times. Lord, I pray that we would know this peace that passes understanding, that we would be anxious for nothing, that we would not be afraid to let our requests be made known unto you. But Lord, we would enjoy that close, close sense of knowing that you are near ready to hear, ready to act, ready to be all you are on our behalf. We thank you also for this promised help that you give. Oh, you are an ever-present help in times of trouble. We look back 
on our lives in hindsight like others have done in the Word of God, in your Word. We look back and, Lord, each and every one of us have wonderful testimonies and stories of your help, of how you've intervened, of how you've brought us into new seasons where our lives grow and flourish in you. Lord, we thank you. We really do thank you for your peace. We thank you for your help. As we go now from this place, Lord, I pray that this week ahead, each and every one of us would know, enjoy the rich pleasure that your presence brings. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Now, why don't we stand to our feet and give Jesus, listen, give Jesus, I'm going to count to three, right? Why don't we just give him a big shout of praise? Hold on, hold on now, hold on. You haven't got to, right? You haven't got to, right? I just want to say this, right? David said this. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. God's greatness is is unchanging. He's great. Whether we praise Him or not, He is great. But in response to His greatness, there should be great praise. Great praise. Great praise from the people of God. So after three, Why don't we just give him a big shout? You can clap. You can dance. You can jump. You can shout. You can run around the building if you want. You're not going to get told off here. If you're doing it in praise to God, I'll follow you if you run around the building. I'll run after you. Let's do it. One, two, Three! Come on, church. Greatly to be praised. Just keep it going. Greatly. Greatly to be praised. Greatly. Greatly to be praised. Come on. Greatly to be praised. Greatly to be praised. Greatly to be praised. Greatly to be praised. Greatly. Greatly, go on, give him another shout. Come on, greatly to be praised. We honor you and praise you. Come on, let's sing. Go on, give him another shout.